0: This is Food First Michigan on 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan,
1: creating a food-secure state, and by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome, everyone, and thanks for listening. Michigan's Governor Gretchen Whitmer recently held sway over the legislature, guests, department leaders, Supreme Court justices, when she shared her sixth State of the State address. I was in attendance as well, while most of Michigan sat and watched and listened in the comfort of their homes. The atmosphere was a bit electric, with the legislative and executive branches being aligned to support each other's agenda. Last year, the leadership in the House and Senate came out fast and furious with legislation they believe in and have not been able to pass for some 40 years. This coming session promises more of the same, but with a bit of nuanced focus on how do they work together to grow Michigan, our economy, our jobs, and build strong momentum toward retention. I'm cheering them on because I know a job that pays wages at the self-sufficiency standard is the biggest tool in the anti-hunger toolbox. Whether it is this party or another one or something in between, To me, it does not matter, and quite frankly, to people experiencing hardship in regards to access to food, they are not worrying about political party affiliation either. They are worried about what are they going to eat and what are they going to give their children. So today, our friend, colleague, and lobbyist, Stephanie Johnson of Quarry, Johnson & Levitt, is here to help us unpack the State of the State Address and the upcoming legislative session how their work and priorities impact our work of creating a food secure state. Join Jerry Bresson, Steph Johnson, and me, next on Food First Michigan. Welcome back everyone, thanks for being with us. As promised Jerry, here is our own Stephanie Johnson, partner at um, Corey, Johnson & Levitt, and managing partner, I do believe, and then Stephanie has been with us for a number of years at the Food Bank Council as our lobbyist. And so, Stephanie, welcome back to Food First Michigan.
0: Thank you. It's great to be here. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about Food security and what's going on at the state, and uh, in addition to, to talking with both you and Jerry, always a good time.
2: There's not many people who have as many years in this as I do, but Stephanie, you got to be close. I mean, when when do you remember the first year you started as the lobbyist for the food bank council?
0: For the food bank council, I believe it was around uh, 2000.
2: 2000. Yeah. So, yeah. and, I, and, and, I, and I can't say enough how important your counsel has been to us uh, as we've continued to really try to do. We want to be the best partner we can be for the state. That really is the truth. We do not hunt money. We hunt opportunity to work with people that want to create a food secure community. And the state of Michigan is one of the most important entities in that. They care a lot. The people in the departments care a lot. And... If you don't know how the system works, you can't be effective in getting in front of the people you need to get in front of with the message that they want to hear because nobody wants kids to go hungry. Nobody wants seniors to go hungry. Nobody wants people who are patients in healthcare settings not to have food when their prescriptions say take with food. Nobody wants that, right? So, so it's it, you've really helped us understand what it is we need to do if we want to make a case effectively and in the right time frame, that legislators and government officials and and you know all the people involved in this process need so that they can do their job. And I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you.
0: Well, thank you for that. Um, it's always been an honor for me to work with the Food Bank Council and be a part of the mission that you folks carry out across the state. Uh, what makes the Food Bank Council unique in many ways is, you know, food is just a basic need that so many people struggle with. And you folks have really done a great job of putting a face to it and explaining the dynamics. You know, many people go about their day every day not thinking about it. They go home, their cupboards are full. But it's hard for them to maybe understand or comprehend the real need that's out there. And so that's where you come in and have done a great job at you know, delivering that message and letting folks know, particularly elected officials, what's going on in their backyard and putting the not only the face to it, but giving the story and explaining the problem and having them understand that. Oftentimes these are individuals that are working maybe more than one job, but for whatever reason, they can't make that that budget stretch to have a stable meal in the evening, you know kids coming home. Uh, I, the one thing that hit me really hard once is when I heard one of your food banks talk about the dread they have when school gets canceled for a snow day because that might mean. That child or those children, some of those children don't get a decent meal that day, and heaven forbid a snow day be called on a Friday, which means they go through the whole weekend before they can go back to class on Monday, and have at least one or two, you know, meals that are are certain and and provide them some nourishment.
1: Well, all right, you two. It's enough of the mutual admiration society here. Uh, No, I appreciate both your words. I echo everything Jerry said, uh, Steph, and it's an honor to have you, you know, guide us through the maze that is Lansing Politics, Legislature, Executive Branch, Departments. And I think that uh, you are uniquely suited to help us succeed in our mission. So I'm just kidding about the mutual admiration society, but um, it's
2: genuine. It's yeah. genuine. It's not just spin. I want to say
1: no. Yeah. <laughs> what? What spin on this show? What? You talking about practice? You guys no.
0: Have way too much fun. Oh, uh,
1: yeah. we do. We so, do. all right. So let's dig. Let's 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 dig in here. There's a couple of things that happened in the last session that the governor talked about recently in the state of the state. Uh, And let's maybe review those, Stephanie, if we could. And one of those was the repeal of the pension tax. And according to the executive office, that puts about $1,000 a year back into senior citizens' uh, checking account. So, you know, for those of us in food security work, we see that as substantial because the fastest growing food insecure population are seniors. And in fact, they're the fastest growing segment of the population. <laughs> so, Period. right. And so we are having more and more. And it's one of the reasons we wanted um, to have a representative from that community. It works with that, that group of seniors uh, on our board. And we asked Paula Cunningham, the CEO of AARP, to join. Our board of directors at the Food Bank Council and she's done so and added tremendous value and insight into this population so w- mm-hmm. what what's kind of the backstory I mean I we know that that tax credit went away under a previous administration and now it's been restored
0: well it, actually I, I'm not sure it was necessarily a tax credit it was uh, a tax that didn't exist and the previous administration early on in their tenure, Really look, took a hard work look at Michigan's tax structure, on, particularly on the business side, and reorganized and restructured Michigan's business taxes. Along with that, became a pension tax. Um, it was it was fairly controversial at the time, uh, but the argument was these individuals are using the same roads, and they you know they benefit from good schools. Why shouldn't they? pay their fair share as well so that got enacted and ever since that moment many legislators or many candidates were expressing displeasure with it and wanted to get that repealed Um, as you know there's always a cost to everything you know whenever you give a tax break or a tax credit Or you impose a tax there is a cost either subtracted out of the budget or or, um, added into the budget this is one that added into the budget so many legislators particularly this last election cycle ran on the issue of this pension tax and made it part of their campaign promise to repeal it Uh, the governor when uh, she got a favorable legislature meeting, you know, a Democratic House and a Democratic Senate, that was her opportunity to really push the push the issue harder. She had the support she needed, and then that tax then got repealed. Um, it's it was something again that was very controversial at the time because people felt these are individuals that worked for years and years and years they paid into the system this is not funds that should be taxed again um and at the time when the previous governor enacted enacted it we had a really tight budget situation and so they were trying to rebalance things and try to find new money in order to sustain current spending levels in a lot of areas so it's, it's something that most people are very happy has happened. Um, it is a delivery on a promise. Uh, many legislators are, are um, very pleased that they were able to fulfill those campaign promises and, and put that money back into the pockets of a lot of seniors across the state.
1: She's Stephanie Johnson, that's Jerry Brisson, I'm Dr. Phil Knight, We're the three of us are going to be back with you in just a moment to continue this edition of Food First Michigan. Contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome back, everyone. Stephanie Johnson, our managing partner at Corey Johnson & Levitt, a lobbying firm, multi-client lobbying firm in Lansing, and one of uh, their clients is the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Stephanie, we had you on the show years ago, and, and we started with a question that said, well, why would the food banks even need a lobbyist? And your answer that I've used like a hundred times since then was, well, because everybody else has one.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much it.
1: You know, and I mean, if you want to have the access, if you want to have the right conversations at the right level about the right topics, you've certainly opened a lot of those doors for us through the years.
2: Let me give an example. I have to do this. If you had to cut a tree down. You've never cut a tree down before. You don't know what tools you need to use, but you know you got to cut that tree down, and you decide you're just going to make it up. You're going to figure out how to get that tree down. You're going to go buy a saw, whatever you're going to do. You're going to come out and try and cut that tree down, and 50% of the time you're going to get hit by the tree. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, not having a lobbyist is akin to cutting a tree down without knowing what you're doing. You can't do it. You think you can do it. But you can't do it. You don't know the first thing about judging where that thing is going to fall. And now, maybe this is just my UP roots coming out. But at the end of the day, it is really that simple. You don't know what you don't know. And it can hurt you if you don't know.
1: It's a dangerous place to live. (laughs) Not knowing what you don't know. Right? Right? Uh, Ignorance is bliss. And some days we're blistered, and Stephanie gets us out of that forest. Right.
0: (laughs) Well, I tell you that the legislature is a very dynamic environment, and it's constantly changing. Um, wh- whether it be because of term limits and new individuals involved in the process, or you know, world and local and state events that happen that can change the agenda on a dime, um, it's something that you always have to you have to you know be very aware, be part of it, be in it, and uh, ready for change at any moment. And that makes it that does make it hard to navigate for sure.
1: Well, here's another topic I want us to grab hold of here that the governor mentioned in her uh, state of the state. And that was the uh, record investment uh, for school meals for all. Now, this is something that came out of the White House conference on nutrition, uh, health and uh, and food and first first, first conference at the White House in over 50 years. And uh, I was fortunate to be able to do attend that. And one of the priorities that came out of that was school meals for all. And so we, we come back to Michigan and lo and behold, the legislature is ready to invest $160 million so that kids can have uh, access to food at school. And it's for everyone. It doesn't matter your economic status, it's for everyone. And the Governor had some numbers on that uh during the state of the state stephanie what, i I think you probably remember what those were
0: um I do actually uh it was about one point four million public school students, and they're they're guaranteed two meals a day lunch and a breakfast generally and the The numbers on that show that it saves families about eight hundred and fifty dollars a year in groceries for having their children, you know, take at least two of their meals during the school year mm-hmm. uh, in the school environment.
1: Well, I would say that, that, you know, there are some detractors to this, and one of them is sitting across the uh, studio from me. <laughs> uh, and and I, w- I would just say that, does the program need to be improved? Absolutely, completely. But I would also say that it doesn't do any good to steer a parked car. <laughs> you got to be moving for the nudge of the wheel to really matter. And if you're not a quite in the right lane, if we don't quite have this program and in this investment correct, at least we're moving, and we can have the opportunity to influence it and get it in the right lane, so it really does have dramatic effect on the kids who are struggling with access to the food that they want and need. And he's chomping at the bit, so here's Jerry. Well,
2: so first of all, we have to applaud any program that's trying to help kids get the nourishment they need because we know that if, what do you say, doctor? If you're not well fed- You'll never be well read. And so we know that it's important for for kids to be nourished, to learn well, and to reach their potential. And so we're always behind that. Um, specifically with school food programs, I think it's a, it's an area that needs some significant investigation and understanding. I mean, we know the plate waste issues are pretty significant. We know that the reimbursements for the meals provided, the prepared meals, isn't enough to create quality meals for kids in many cases, to the point where the actual consumption of the meals isn't what you would want it to be. So, so the fact is it's a $26 billion federal program that may, be, that may have changed uh, in the last couple of years. But, but if, if plate waste is anywhere between 30 and 50%, that's a lot of money that's going to waste. And you can't ignore that, right? Now, I understand the stigma issue. If everybody gets free meals, then nobody's stigmatized for getting it. And I do think that, that people who need food help, the biggest reason they don't get help is their own shame. That it is a huge issue. It's really important. And so, again, I applaud the legislation for trying to address what we know is something that's a barrier for people to get the food they need. But at the same time, I really believe we've got to look at the effectiveness of these programs and make them better. And in particular... I think that the the idea that you can have at school an environment that's like at home with prepared meals that you just give to kids as if their, their parents were providing them, it's not affordable. It's not affordable. We have to get creative about how we make sure kids get the food they need. And giving parents food at home to prepare meals for their kids to take to school is significantly less money. We proved during the pandemic that parents and kids like it better, and yet we have a hard time getting traction on on those issues. And part of the reason we have a hard time getting traction is when you throw another 160 million at it and it and it it, it says, "Oh, well, this isn't a problem we have to solve." And I think that's not how we want to approach government.
0: Well, you definitely make a lot of valid points the one thing about it is the food bank has always been a leader in this space and i think the pandemic proved that right away the second schools closed and they went to in in home learning the the first one of the first calls that i i received was from the governor's office how do we get these kids some food um because knowing that they're not going to be in the classroom uh, there was going to, everyone was very much aware that there was going to be a tremendous need for and uh some significant food insecurity for a lot of these families and the reason why they even had that knowledge to begin with is because of the advocacy of the food bank so i want to say i want to applaud you for that and and in some ways you're a product of you know this situation is a product of of your success. The other piece of this is when government tries to deliver something along these lines they're going to try to do it to the the most um the easiest ways possible the path to least resistance which would be in the school when the kids are in the building and doing it this way the the, the process of delivering groceries and, and accounting for that i'm guessing is not something that's been really honed down yet and been presented in in a manner that um shows that it can be efficient and shows that it can be effective. The meal program that the governor has put in in place obviously is reaching a very large target audience. And as you stated, we already know when families can have the opportunity to prepare and to um, make their own choices based on their family culture and lifestyle for food, that it's a much better outcome and a much more efficient outcome and over time, I think that's something that we can certainly start to address and, and start um, talking to people about it and, and explaining those needs. But I also want to say at the same time the fact that the food insecurity problem being acknowledged in this way is tremendous because if you had looked back 10, maybe 15 years ago, nobody would have believed you when you talked about how big the problem was and how how many kids were going without and how the shame that a lot of families had and didn't want to have their child put on the free or reduced lunch list. Um, and now it's being recognized and it's being recognized in a big way. Um, and I, I think that that's Again, largely due to the advocacy of the food banks across the state and bringing forward that need and what's going on in the communities.
1: That was a great point, Stephanie. I think that, that both of you bring out some great points, almost as great as mine was. But, um, <laughs> you know, the whole mission of, of of helping these programs to be more efficient is a role that I feel like the Food Bank Council has. And it, it, and it's not just, you know, spotting problems. You know, it's about solving problems. And so we want, we want, to, we want to be that type of uh, partner with the state of Michigan to help them with the programs that we have available to us to address the needs of food insecurity across the state. We want to make them as effective, highly effective as possible. She's Stephanie Johnson, that's Jerry Bresson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. Come back and be with us in just a moment. Food first, Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. We're back with you, Jerry Brisson, Stephanie Johnson, our lobbyist and managing partner at Corey Johnson & Levitt in Lansing, Michigan, and me, Dr. Phil Knight. So, Stephanie and Jerry, let's do a little retro, but fast forward at the same time, because in this last session, Stephanie, we had a significant increase into a line item that flows directly to the food banks through the Food Bank Council, and this is the program that many listeners have heard us talk about. We call MASS, which is the Michigan Agricultural Surplus System, which is a grant from the from the state of Michigan to the Food Bank Council that allows us to purchase Michigan-based product. And for years, we've only spent that, uh, that appropriation on things like fresh produce, which is great, but that's been primarily it. But with this increase, I think you both, Jerry knows for sure because he's, uh, he's, his food bank at Gleaners is one of the pioneers for, for milk fresh milk delivery. Now with this increase in mass, we're expanded past produce and we're, we're, we're also including fruits along with vegetables, but also all of dairy product, milk, cheese, eggs, and, uh, protein. So we're really able to get people the food that they want and need. And we know that is directly tied to consumption. So, um, I'm pretty Beautiful. excited about that Stephanie and and you have seen this go from very little. What was the first line item grant for that wasn't it like $20,000 or something?
0: You know what, the very first one might have been, it was in it was in the early 90s was the first grant. Um and it it was over the course of time we got it up to a million. It sat at a million for a while and then we kind of ticked it up to 1.5 million. Um, and and slowly slowly ticked it up from there. Um, like you said, it's it's a program that, in my opinion, has so many wins. You know, either it's the grower, the processor, the food banks, and the the end user. Uh, it's one of the first. Well, actually, it is the first program of its kind in the country. Uh, Michigan Food Bank Co- Policy Council. They um, Food Bank Council of Michigan were the first group in the nation to come up with this idea to do it uh, and then it caught on across the country and i'm just so super proud of it uh, for a number of reasons and what was really very good last year was with the um, situation of covid and some other items that came up came along some folks really stopped and concentrated on food security and looked at the real need out there, and they came to the conclusion that we're not funding this to a level it should be. And so a number of, of legislators, legislative champions, you know, Representative Christine Morse, uh, Senator Sylvia Santana, uh, Representative Witwer, um, Senator Anthony, a whole host of them came together and they gave the program, its largest increase that it's ever had. It was a $10 million increase. And that really um, just brought so much uh, more to the table. You know, I know that you folks were running out of funds with that program in the spring, you know, and, and this is really related to agriculture directly. So this gets you through the growing season, which just allows you more opportunity to get access more food. And the one thing to recognize is years ago, the Food Bank Council sat down and thought about how they're delivering food and what kind of food they're delivering. And there was a time where it was just calories, right? Just give the individual calories. It doesn't matter what it is. Just they need food, get them food. You stopped and thought about it. Wait a minute. We have an obesity problem. We have you know, diabetes issues. We have all these other things going on. What how can we change this dynamic so we are still giving food to those that need it? But we're doing it in a manner that creates a healthier environment and, and promotes health. And Mass was that one program that really kind of, I thought, launched that effort. And you are, you're so different about how you think about getting food to a family now than it was 20, 25 years ago.
2: That is Really, really well said. We continue to evolve, and and we look at all of the programs that are available and all of the things that food banks do, whether there's a program or available or not to address food insecurity. And we we understand more about it now than we ever have in terms of, well, what does it really mean if you're going to address this? The first thing is it has to be food that people want and need or else it's going to be thrown away. And that doesn't mean people aren't grateful, but you know we know that it has to be food that people want and need. You can't just give people whatever. The second thing we know is People's health is really important. It's one of the biggest things causing food insecurity now. So while we don't take responsibility for the decisions people have to make, we do feel obligated to provide access to healthy choices as people manage their life. And so, you know, the the mass program really helps us live our values and that's critically important to us right our values are fundamentally what make us who we are um, you know we have we have a 6 point impact model and i know like okay this is going to sound like us you know a lecture but it really isn't the when the pandemic came and so many resources were given to food banks to solve food insecurity, we went to work and we learned a lot of things about how to manage larger and more varied types of distributions in the community. And, and what makes us sustainable and scalable is that understanding We can't just do more. We have to do more and better. And this $10 million increase from Mass is going to help us sustain programs that we have learned through the pandemic are critically important to families. But what was the path to continue to serve them in a way that would do the most good? So there are so many things about this that hit our impact model. It's a great cost benefit. It helps us be sustainable and scalable. It's a tremendous economic benefit to households. It is equitable. In other words, everyone who, has, who needs access to it, has access to it these kinds of increases enable us to live that out and we can say at the end of it the most important point in what we do is how does it change people's lives it helps to stabilize the families we serve to know this is going to be available for the long term so you talk about toxic stress of hunger these kinds of things are what eliminate that toxic stress because those families know that fresh food is going to be there when they need it. It is a hugely
1: important program. So, Stephanie, what would be your take uh, on the future in regard to mass and this substantial increase uh, from last year's budget? Of course, we'd like to hang on to that. And there's always the revenue estimating conferences. And I think the last one came in a little bit better than what anyone anticipated. And so... We've got our work cut out for us to to also to prove that this, what Jerry just said, that this investment in our, the families across Michigan that are struggling with food insecurity are worthy of that investment.
0: Absolutely. I mean, that's a never-ending process. And um, it, particularly in the legislative environment, it, that's always changing as well. Uh, new people coming in, so you're constantly educating and and teaching and and proving your worth and the value of the program. But you know, as you said, the revenue estimating conference was held a couple of weeks ago, and revenue did come in a little higher than what was generally expected. Revenue estimating conference is where the the um, top economists in the state come together and they and the uh, Senate fiscal agency director, House fiscal agency director and state budget director come together and, and write, think about the predictions for the upcoming year and how revenue are going to come in. See if revenue has met expectations from previous estimates and, and things have to be adjusted down or up. And then based on that decision the, the january decision the governor's executive budget recommendation uh comes together and and she introduces that recommendation to the legislature and they begin the process on it uh, we're expecting the governor's budget uh, to come out probably maybe the week of february 6th we don't have a date yet but uh, i'm guessing it's usually within a few weeks from the state of the state and it'll be interesting to see uh you know the governor laid out some new programs. So it'll be interesting to see how they fit into the budget, and then what what uh, the governor offers as a recommendation to continue. I think we're gonna, you know, really work hard at maintaining the level of of funding that we've received um, from last year, and we're gonna be out there talking to legislators and, and explaining the worth and the value, uh, just like we do any other year, and um, hopeful that we can maintain that and. Um, be able to continue on and maybe in future year, years build on it more because we, we, we know that there's still need out there for sure.
1: I like that build on it more. She's Stephanie Johnson. Yeah. She's our lobbyist with uh, Corey Johnson and Levitt and Stephanie thank you for being with us. Our guest today on Food First Michigan and we'll continue onward and upward together. Thank you. Jerry and I are back in just a moment to wrap up this edition of Food First Michigan. Thanks, everyone. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here in our WJR studios inside the uh, historic but cloudy Fisher Building in downtown Detroit. Jerry, I love the shows when Steph Johnson comes on.
2: Well, there's so much to this work that doesn't meet the eye, right? And so she is so amazing, uh, has helped us in so many ways. She's very, very smart. But I will also say she has a heart of absolute gold. Um, She she helps us so much because she believes this is an important issue for our community to thrive. I I just have so much respect for Stephanie. Um, And and I respect that she gets results. And I, and I mean, I guess food banks are always in that space of having a, a warm heart, but also a firm hand,
1: you know? Well, yeah, I agree with you. I have seen Steph in a variety of circumstances as we've worked together for over nine years now, um, where she can be firm, but I've also seen her, uh, be very sensitive to people. And, um, you know, when she left her old firm and moved to what is now Corey Johnson and Levitt, um, she took two clients with her. uh, And we were one of them. So she believes in this work. Yep. And she believes in the families that we serve. And I think that's, uh, that's crucial. Uh, You know, and a lot of people would say, why are you spending money on a lobbyist? And we answered it earlier in the show. But You know, and it's primarily because everybody else has one.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's, it's, um, you, somebody has to be paying close attention. To what is going on uh, in the in the you know the all of the government workings right and that's what our lobbyists do they they're experts at at knowing what's happening and what timing is going to be important if you bring an issue no matter how well you can defend it or or promote it and it's just too late in the process you get nothing for it and so it it makes the highest use of our time to know when and how to present an issue effectively. And so, uh, so again, I, I can't say enough about how much value there is in that relationship and, and how it helps us be our
1: best. Yeah, for sure. Well, Jerry, time for a little food for thought. Influence is fueled by the depth of our relationship. Leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. In our job, Our passion is to influence as many as possible to help us build enough momentum from the scores of people that hear us that our influence is impactful enough to move the political will, so hunger can come off the table once and for all. Before you start sending me emails or social media posts, yes, there is a shared responsibility among all who do this work just as there is a shared responsibility to those who are experiencing a food insecure life. It takes all of us, government included, listening, working, and prioritizing the work so that everyone can become more and better by being food secure. We start here and all of our food banks across the state by putting food first, folks, food first.